Well, let me tell you something, Four Points. We came to have church today, didn't we? I am, I am here for it. I am ready. Whoo, that's good. That's good. I mean, I think anybody could get up here and preach after that. All right, we're going to start with a little question and answer session this morning. I want you to raise your hand if you have a scar somewhere on your body that has a really good story attached to it. Anybody? Okay, yeah, most of us have scars that we can point to and tell where they came from, right? We have scars on our knees from falling off of our bicycles. We have scars on our elbows. Some of us have scars from our siblings. Anybody else have a scar from a sibling? That's my story. I have a a very interesting scar on my chin. My husband did not even know this story until this week. Um, Funny story, we were very young. There are four of us. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother. And I have no recollection of this, but apparently we were outside playing on the teeter-totter. Did anybody else have a teeter-totter growing up? Um, I asked Katie this week, I said, is that really what that thing is called? Like, that's what my family called it. A seesaw, I believe, is the other appropriate name. We were outside playing on the teeter-totter, which is the best name for any children's toy ever. And apparently, she jumped off of the teeter-totter at just the right moment. And when she did, it came up and it busted me in the chin and my face burst open right and like any good sister she did not go fetch my parents she hustled me into the bathroom found some towels and attempted to heal me herself as you can imagine it did not go well so eventually my mom comes into the bathroom and it looks like a CSI crime scene right she's like what happened and the best part of the story is that Heather said nothing yeah Nothing. So that's where that scar came from. Ladies, ladies, do any of you have scars from when you were learning how to shave your legs? I have one right up my shin bone, right? They make razors better now than they used to, and I'm bitter about it. My daughter is 12, and when she started shaving, she's not cut herself yet. Like, they make razors better. We had just a strip of metal, right? Just, or we were just having to, to shave our legs with a strip of metal. But we all have interesting stories from scars. Some of you might have scars from a surgery, maybe from an accident. Maybe you don't even know where the scar came from. Anybody have one like that? You're going, I don't know what happened to me. I have no idea. Here's the point. The point is that it is nearly impossible for us to get through this life without bearing proof of the life that we've gotten through. Isn't that right? Our once perfect skin, if you look at the skin of a newborn baby, it is unblemished and it is smooth and it is beautiful. And then you look at us old people and we are showing some proof of life, right? Whether it is a scar or a wrinkle or many wrinkles, age spots, gray hair, we don't make it through life unscathed, do we? And I'm just talking about in the physical. What about in the internal? Don't we bear internal scars as well? It might not be a wound that required a Band-Aid or Neosporin. It might not have been a wound that showed blood. But we all have wounds and scars on the inside as well, right? Because that's what happens when we live this life. Our life will always bear the proof that this world is a fallen place. We have been going through the series called The Daily Grind here, and Pastor Phil has been teaching us so much good stuff about what it looks like to live for Jesus in the daily grind, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our finances, in every part of our lives. And this is what has occurred to me. 
that when we truly surrender every single part of our daily grind to Jesus, it is both simultaneously the best and the worst thing that can ever happen to us. It is the best thing in the spiritual sense where we get this sense of peace and this knowing that we are taken care of and that Jesus has us. But when we do that, when we fully surrender and say, God, you have control over my finances. You have control over my children, over my work life, over every, de- every decision I make. When we do that, along with that deep sense of peace, we also get vicious attacks from the enemy. Because it's only when we fully surrender that he becomes threatened by our spiritual lives. If we just come to church on Sunday mornings and and act like on the surface we're living for Jesus, he is not threatened by that. He is threatened by people who give God everything. And so this is what we've got to understand. We have to understand that a surrendered life is not and will never be a smooth life. And I'm not sure that we do enough in the church to really teach that. We have to understand that surrender will bring an onslaught of attacks from the enemy. And he will attack us in our most vulnerable places. He will attack us just at the moment we say, God, this is yours and I'm giving it over to you. At that moment we make the decision, we need to also expect and prepare for some attacks. Now, I don't say this to scare you because we are not without rescue. We are not without a way out. We are not without a healer and a deliverer. But we have to understand that as long as we live on this planet, it will not be smooth sailing. A surrendered life will not be smooth. I want us to look in Luke chapter 14 to begin with. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 25. And this is a lesson from Jesus to his followers about what we need to understand is going to happen to our lives when we follow him. This is what Jesus says. So now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Friends, this is not a metaphor when he says to count the cost. It is an instruction for us to understand that there is going to be a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is not a cost to paying lip service, but there is a cost to true surrender. We have to understand what is going to come our way. 
when we follow Jesus. So just like we get physical wounds, we also will receive spiritual wounds. And so the question isn't, how can I prevent these wounds from happening? Which I think is a question sometimes we tend to focus on. That's not the question. The question is not, how can I prevent these wounds from happening? But what do I do when they do happen? Because Jesus has guaranteed there will be a cost. He has guaranteed that there will be a price to pay. But he's also guaranteed this. John 16, says, in this world, you will have trouble, but it doesn't end there, does it? But take heart, I have overcome the world. What a promise. We will have trouble. We can expect it. We can guarantee. We can look for it. But we also have an overcomer. This morning, every person in this room Every person watching online, we all are dealing with either or both a wound or a scar. We all are dealing with either a wound or a scar this morning. And I want to make sure you understand the distinction between the two because they are not the same, are they? A wound is not the same as a scar because one is healed, one is well, and the other is still open and still broken. One is all better and one is not. If you think about just the definition of a scar, it is a growth of tissue where an open injury once was, right? A scar is evidence that there has been healing, but there are many of us this morning who have not gotten to the scar stage yet. We still have a wound, and I'm not talking about a flesh wound, ladies and gentlemen. I am talking about a spiritual, emotional, psychological, relational wound that is still open, and in some cases, it is still bleeding, right? And there is still pain. There might be infection. We might need to receive some wound care. So what I want you to do this morning is to continue with what was happening in worship where the Spirit was ministering to us. Did y'all feel that? And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, show me, show me what in my life is an open wound that I keep pretending doesn't exist. Let me go there. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? We'd rather pretend that the wound has been healed. But I want you to think this morning on both your wounds that are open and the scars that exist. Now, I've done a lot of research this week. I am not a medical professional, okay? Don't claim to be. Blood makes me a little squeamish. But I have done a lot of research on wounds and scars. And I am here to tell y'all, I might run a lap this morning with some of the things God showed me. And if I don't, one of y'all better, okay? Because this is some good stuff. I want you to listen to these truths about wounds, okay? Now, these are in the physical, but just go with the analogy, okay? Go with the analogy that this also applies to our spiritual inner wounds. Any wound that we have in the flesh is a break in the protective layer. Think about that. Did y'all used to uh, do the little joke when you were in elementary school and tell people that their epidermis was showing? Did y'all ever do that? Your epidermis is your outer layer of skin, right? Apparently that was just a thing in my generation. Okay, that's a joke we used to tell each other. Your epidermis is showing. It's just the outer layer of skin. But what happens when we receive a wound is that the epidermis, that protective layer of outer skin, is broken. And that's never a good thing, right? Because it can allow bacteria in. It can become infected. It's not a good thing. Think about a wound in the spirit. Is that not a break in the protective layer? 
The Holy Spirit is our protector. He is our deliverer. He is our healer. But when the enemy comes against us, often the first thing that happens is that we stop looking at the Spirit and we look at the attack and there is a break there in the protective layer. It's a good word. All wounds, no matter how serious they are, have some sort of effect, right? How many of you have ever just been driven crazy by the tiniest splinter or paper cut? It'll drive you nuts, right? It'll make you go insane. All wounds, even small ones, have some sort of effect on how we function in our day-to-day lives. Some are immediate, they heal quickly, it's not a big deal, and some have lasting effects that go on for a very long time. Wounds expose what is not supposed to be exposed. The inner layer of your skin, the deeper layer of tissue, the dermis, that is not supposed to be exposed. And so we become susceptible to infection. All wounds are limiting in some way. All wounds, even if it's a paper cut, it limits you in some way. Um, Several months ago, y'all, I just get the weirdest things that happen to me. Um, I think I've told this story before, but I got pricked by a thorn from some kind of stupid growth in our, um, our, our flower beds. Got pricked by a thorn, and my finger became so stiff it wouldn't move. Scared me to death. Okay, it's like a real disease. Look it up, I promise. My finger would not move, and it was the smallest one. You could barely even see where it happened, but it had such an effect on me. I ended up having to take antibiotics, okay? And I told Josh, I'm never working in the yard again. Like, that gives me an out for the rest of my life. But it had an effect. It limited my range of motion. Y'all think about this with the wounds that you and I receive in the spirit. When that wound festers, when that wound is not healed, when we don't give that wound attention, what does it do? It limits us. It stops us from operating in the full range of motion that Jesus intends for us to operate in. In some cases, it limits our potential because we become so fixated on and limited by that wound that we are unable to operate in the spiritual realm that we are supposed to operate in. Here's the next truth about wounds. All wounds are not equal, but all wounds hurt. Sometimes we look at things that happen to us and we say, well, it's not as bad as what she's going through or it's not as bad as what happened to him. And so we try to deny that it's really having an effect on us. And so what was originally a very small wound ends up impacting us more than a deeper wound could have because we never receive healing for it. All wounds are not equal. A paper cut is not the same as a stab wound. A deep betrayal by a person you love is not the same as someone gossiping, but it all hurts and we have to acknowledge the hurt so it can heal. And listen to this, the depth of the wound determines the type of treatment needed. The depth of the wound determines the type of treatment needed and it also determines the healing time. We cannot expect a surgical wound to heal as quickly as a paper cut. But sometimes you and I do that in the spirit. We think I should be over this. We think this shouldn't be affecting me anymore. We become the physician in our lives and we place the timetable on when we should heal. And that is not how things are intended to work. The next truth. Some wounds are self-inflicted and some are placed on us by other people. But regardless of how we came about the wound, we still need to be healed of it. This morning, I don't know what your wound looks like. 
I don't know if it's from someone else. I don't know if it's an internal wound that you have caused in your own life. But here's the truth. Jesus heals them both. If we'll give them to him, if we will surrender. surrender. This one I think is very interesting. And I think it's the most, um, the, the one that hits me perhaps hardest. And that is that pre-existing conditions affect how we heal. If you know someone who has a vascular condition or diabetes, wounds for them are much more serious than for people who do not have a compromised system. Yes? It is much more difficult for them to heal from wounds. You and I in the spirit have pre-existing conditions because of how we grew up, because of things that have happened to us, because of the troubles that we've already faced. And when we are wounded in that area that the pre-existing condition affects, it becomes much harder for us to heal in that area. Just this very week, something very small, very insignificant happened, but it hit me in an area of a pre-existing condition and it hurt. For somebody else, that would have been not a big deal at all. But for me, it was. Because our pre-existing conditions affect the wounds that we receive in those areas. And we have to be consciously aware of that. We have to look at our past. We have to look at our baggage and understand, I am vulnerable here. I know the enemy is going to attack me here. So I need to put on some protective devices in that area. You know, one of the things that Pastor Phil spoke about in our previous series was that for some of us, the way that we look at God as our father is difficult because of the relationship we've had with our humanly, earthly father, right? That's a pre-existing condition. It's not your fault, right? It's not something you should blame yourself for. It's not something you should even feel shame about, but we must be aware of it because that pre-existing condition affects the wounds that we receive Here's another truth about wounds, that we play a role in the healing of our wounds. Did you know that things like your nutrition affect the healing of a physical wound? The amount of moisture in the wound will affect it. Whether or not you smoke will affect the healing of a wound. So in some instances, we can actually inhibit the healing of a wound because of how we are operating in our day-to-day lives. And then we ask Jesus, why is this wound not healing? And he said, that one's on you. What does it look like to be proactive in the healing of a spiritual wound? First of all, it means to do what I said just a second ago and be aware of the pre-existing conditions that are affecting it. So many of us with the baggage from our past, with the things that we have gone through, we want to just put those in a closet and shut the door and pretend they're not there, right? But ignoring them doesn't mean they affect us any less. So we have to acknowledge and be aware of those pre-existing conditions. We have to do the things that will speed up the healing process, like exposing the wound, How many of you have ever heard that you have to take the Band-Aid off of the wound so fresh air, oxygen can get to it? We have to expose our wounds if we want healing to get to it. We have to surrender our wounds, acknowledge them. We have to surrender. We have to spend time in prayer. We have to ask for the healer to heal them. We got to quit picking at the scab too sometimes, y'all. And this one, the final truth about a wound is one that we cannot go without understanding. That when a wound heals, the area will never be like it was before. 
When a wound heals, the area will never be like it was before. How often do we want for things to go back the way they used to be? And I'm not just talking about in the physical sense, okay, with a flesh wound. I'm talking about in the spirit. When a wound happens, when a deep hurt comes into our lives, we just want things to go back the way they used to be. Y'all, it ain't never going back to the way it used to be. It can't. Because wounds mark us forever. A scar always exists. Even the best plastic surgeon cannot make it as if that scar were never there. They can't do it. And so we've got to stop wishing for things to go back the way they were and understand that the new us, the one with the scar, is different, but that difference is for a purpose. It is for a purpose. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Does it say he prevents all their wounds from happening? No. If you want to hear more about why that happens, go listen to Pastor's message on why bad things happen to good people. He doesn't stop the wounds from happening, but when they do, he is the one who binds them up. He is the one who heals them. And here's another truth for you. Different than before does not mean worse than before. Y'all, we think the wound, we think the scar has made us worse. We think it has irreparably damaged us. We think, okay, this is it. My life's over. And it hasn't. Different than before does not mean worse than before. So how do wounds heal? How do wounds heal? Y'all, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. Okay. So when we receive a wound in the flesh, it's cut through the epidermis to the dermis, the, the deeper layer of tissue. What happens is that we start forming new tissue in that area. It's not the same kind of skin tissue that surrounds it, but it's, it's collagen fibers, okay, to get, to get technical here. And they start forming a new different kind of tissue. You might know that in the area of a scar, you don't have hair follicles there. You don't have sweat glands there, right? It is a different type of tissue. But that comes into the area, and you've probably noticed, if, even if you've never had a serious wound, that when you start to heal, what color is that wound? It's red, isn't it? Why is it red, y'all? Because blood has to come to the area of healing. Yeah. Blood has to come to the area, y'all, that is healing. You cannot heal from a wound if there is no blood. And that is something that somebody in this room needs to hear this morning. You have been trying to heal that wound yourself. You've been putting Neosporin on it. You've been washing it. You've been scrubbing it. You've been putting a Band-Aid on it. But there is no blood going to that area. And it's never going to heal until the blood of Jesus comes into it and takes over and provides healing in that area. Blood is required for healing. Y'all, I've never cried so much preparing a message. There is something to that, y'all. There is something to that. We try to be our own physician and it doesn't work. Listen to this. Wounds don't heal overnight either. Did you know that it takes up to two years before a scar fully settles? And here is the process that a scar, that a wound must go through to become a star. There are three stages. The first is called the inflammatory stage, okay? 
What happens in this stage is that the wound is fresh. It's still very painful. This is the beginning. This is when it still hurts, okay? This is when the blood starts going to that area, but it's irritated. It's not well. This is when we are most susceptible to infection. The second stage is called the proliferative stage. And I want you to think about that word proliferation. You've probably heard it in the context of nuclear proliferation, right? Okay, we don't want that. Like North Korea, we don't want you having nuclear weapons. That just means a newness in that area, okay? In the proliferative stage of healing in a wound, this is where the new cells are growing and multiplying. There is new life going to that area. There's multiplication in the area of the wound. The third stage is called the remodeling stage. This is where the area becomes different than it was before. In the remodeling stage, the body structurally is different in that area. There's a different look. There's a different type of tissue. In some cases, there's a different function, right? Depending on where the scar is, it might not function as well. And is this not what happens when we surrender our wounds to Jesus? We go to him in the inflammatory stage where something is irritated and it is hurting and it is red and we just want it to get all better. And what happens is the second stage, the proliferative stage. If we surrender that wound to him, there will be new life in that area, right? The blood flows to that area. There is multiplication. There is growth happening. And then we are remodeled. We are different than we were before. The structure changes in that wound. But healing will slow down when the area is disturbed. And I believe this is where so many of us get stuck. Because we think we've given the wound to Jesus... And then Satan will come back and he'll attack because he knows that's an area of weakness and vulnerability. And he picks at that scab. And then we pick at the scab in our mind, right? We do this. We start thinking about it, obsessing over it, talking to people we don't need to be talking to about it. We do all of these things, picking at the scab. And so we're constantly going from the inflammatory stage to the proliferative stage. Then it gets inflamed again because we're picking at it. We're going back and forth between those two stages. And we never get to the third stage of remodeling we got to stop picking at the scab. And when Satan picks at it, we got to call it what it is and say, you are picking at my scabs and the blood of Jesus covers this scab. You will not have a place in this wound anymore. That is what will lead to remodeling, friends. That is what will lead to a different person. How many of you know somebody who was wounded 20 years ago and they are still inflamed about it? The wound has not healed. We can be saved as saved can be. We can love Jesus and we can still have inflamed wounds that have never gone through the proliferative and the remodeling stages because we keep getting our scabs picked at and we keep picking at them ourselves. Jesus is saying to us, it is time for you to stop picking at scabs. So here are three truths I want you to get before I move on. One is we will all be wounded right? We will all be wounded. That is just something that happens as a human being. The second thing is God desires to heal our wounds through the blood of Jesus. And the third is that deep wounds leave scars, which means that we are changed. 
I want us to look now in John. Flip over to John chapter 20. This is the book of the Bible that we have been going through and engage. And there is so much good stuff in the book of John. I want us to look at verses 19 and 20 to begin with. And these are actually verses that I have spoken on before on a Sunday morning. But God showed me something different in these verses. So what has happened here is that Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And in these verses, he is reappearing to his disciples. Look at verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Skip down to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. In both of those cases, what was Jesus showing? His scars. And I want you to think about this. This is not the bloody Jesus being flogged right before his crucifixion. This is the resurrected Christ still showing his scars. Could God not have taken those scars off of his physical body? Absolutely. Why did he not? Because his scars were an irreplaceable, irremovable part of the story. They did not lose their significance just because he was resurrected. They were the proof of his identity, somebody. Those scars proved to his own followers who he was. The disciples were not glad and they did not rejoice and they did not call him my Lord and my God until they saw the scars. And I want to tell somebody today that your scars are meant to do the exact same thing that his scars did, and that is to prove his identity. Our scars, our healed wounds are meant to show this world who our Jesus is because those wounds could not have healed on their own. The brokenness that some of you have experienced in your own lives, in relationships, in church hurt, in a number of different areas, those wounds cannot heal on their own. But when Jesus heals them, they are proof to the world that he is who he said he was, that he is the healer. And it is time for us to stop feeling shame over our scars and to stop resenting them and to stop wishing they had never happened. And instead, it is time for us to say, Jesus, take my scars, use them as you used your own to prove to people that you are the Christ. Our scars are not just meant for us, they're meant for the world. Yes, we experience the incredible healing and that, in a personal, private way, is something that we could never recreate. But they are also meant to be a testimony to the world. Your scars are not your shame. We have to reconcile in our lives that our wounds are going to come. We're going to hurt. They're going to happen. 
but it is by his stripes we are healed. His wounds heal ours. His wounds are the ones that heal our own wounds. Listen, scars are not intended to erase the wounds. Scars are intended to heal the wounds so we can go on living. It's not like the wound never happened. It happened. It changed you. But we can go on living and we can thrive when Jesus is the one who heals our wounds. It's time for some of you to get to that proliferative and remodeling stage. It's time for those wounds to become scars. I want to close today by looking in the book of Acts. This is where I have been in my personal private study time. And in the book of Acts, this is what happens after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, okay? The disciples who are now the apostles, it's just a different term for the same people, they are out spreading the gospel. They are sharing the good news. We're going to start by looking in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, just to set a little context here of what's going on. So Peter and John, two of the apostles, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. He's begging, essentially. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And instead, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. In the next two verses, everybody's blown away. Okay, that's important. Everybody is astounded. Skip down to chapter 4. Verses 1 through 14. So Peter is sort of explaining why this happened, how it happened, who Jesus was. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, the religious leaders, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I love that part, said to them, rulers of the people, people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. What? Well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love these next few lines. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed... Standing beside them, they had nothing 
to say in opposition. The naysayers, the people who are greatly annoyed, the religious officials, they have nothing to say in opposition when our healing is on display. Look at verses 15 and 16. But when they had commanded them, the apostles, to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Listen, so often we think we have to talk people into loving Jesus. We think we have to use the just right words and we have to be a preacher. We think we have to be eloquent in our words. You know what draws people to Jesus? The evidence of the healing that he's done in other people's lives. We all want to be healed, don't we? We all want to be made well. And so when we, instead of hiding in shame, our scars and our wounds, when we put the healing on display, people are going to notice. People will not be able to say anything in opposition. People will not be able to deny that something supernatural has happened. And that is the role that you and I are to play when these wounds and these scars come into our lives. But we have to move from the inflammation stage to the proliferation stage to the remodeling stage. We can't put our bloody wounds on display we got to let some healing happen first, friends. That is what happens in private. That is what happens in your day-to-day, daily grind walk with Jesus Christ. That brings healing to your wounds, and then the scars can be shown as beautiful. Don't we relate better to people's scars and imperfections than we do to their perceived perfection? This is why I hate Instagram. I love it and I hate it, y'all. I love it and I hate it. I am so tired of seeing these people that I follow in these ridiculous poses, first of all, that have to hurt their back, looking beautiful, right? As if there's no problem in the world. I can't relate to that. I can't relate to that at all. I can relate to the laundry piled up on the couch. I can relate to my kids going nuts. I can relate to my back hurting just because I'm old, not because I'm in a crazy pose, right? We relate to people's imperfections. This is why you and I need to share our imperfections and not say Jesus has perfected me, but he has healed me because that is what a hurting world is looking for. They are looking for evidence that there is a healer. They are looking for a relationship with someone who has the ability to remodel their wounds into scars. And that's what you and I have to offer this world. This morning, our band is going to come and they're going to sing a song about scars. And what I'm going to ask of you, this is the invitation, is I want you to ask Jesus to deal with your wounds and deal with your scars. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It might mean you need to come up here and you need to pray. It might mean you need to go into our prayer room over here, meet with some of our prayer partners. It might mean you need to sit and you need to weep. I don't know what it's going to mean. But Jesus' wounds are what bring healing to our own. And this morning, let's let that be our focus.